Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Lions Up by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me today is podcast conciliary, Carrie Shockey. Hey, so, Joe. Well, you know, I'm uh, back from my uh, undisclosed location and uh, back here in the lovely East Coast, and uh, now it's cold and shitty and snowing outside, so, you know, I feel right back at home. <laughs> it's great. You know, that's one thing about, like, the Pacific Northwest that um, I don't entirely miss is that, it, you know, if there's... We have a winter, and it's very mild, but it's like it just feels like you're kind of getting pissed on the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like not not a ton of snow, just just a drizzle forever. Yeah, and like yeah, when it says it rains ten percent, it just means it rain like ten percent of the air is full of rain all day. (laughs) Yeah, and now my option is it's just dry forever and hot. Um, (laughs) I mean, at least it's. at least it's there and it's not like Arizona. You know, that's fair. Uh, it has been raining a lot. Uh, this is my first Hawaiian winter. And it seems to just be just misting constantly, which is... But it's not cold. The rain isn't even cold. It's just kind of a nuisance. It's not bad. So it's just kind of like you're uh, like a head of lettuce in the supermarket. Yeah. You're just kind of so gradually I, getting misted. Probably I taste worst. <laughs> just uh, hairy Armenian lettuce. Uh, yeah, you go, you go to bite it. It's like if you live in a house with like a husky or something, you go to eat something you're like oh, I gotta pick out the hair. You know what I'm saying? Oh uh, yeah, my buddy has a husky down in Rhode Island, and I definitely slept on their couch once before uh, Thanksgiving when he used to live over in Connecticut at the uh, the naval housing there, and uh, woke up in the morning and it was just like I just felt like I had to shave like all my clothes. <laughs> yeah, speaking of puppies, I have a new puppy. Uh, he is adorable. However, uh, he's in the podcast room with me currently because it's the only good option. Because uh, if I put him in the crate where he sleeps, he'll cry constantly, uh, which will be picked up by the mic. So I I left him in the room with me where he is now currently walking around and biting on random things. <laughs> uh, so if you hear anything loud, it's the puppy, uh, uh, not me, the the guy that you pay to make a, a show for you. Um, all, so if, if you cancel for this, you're only hurting the puppy. <laughs> if you can, you have to get five other people to also subscribe to the Patreon or Joe kills the puppy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. We, you know, we don't make the rules here. It just, it's read that. What I'm trying to say, your legal tip of the day is always read your contracts. It's uh, that, that Pete Buttigieg uh, meme where it's the, it's the dog with the gun to its head. <laughs> Actually, he seems to have just fallen asleep on the floor, which is adorable. Uh, now, shocks. We talk about World War II an awful lot on this show. Um, and, you know, a good reason for that is, you know, it's one of the 
pinnacle changing moments of human history, of modern human history. Um, and there's all sorts of uh, little, uh, little, little nuggets within this disgusting, horrible conflict that should have never <laughs> happened uh, that pique my fancy, uh, which is a terrible way of saying that. I'm sorry. Um, what I'm saying is I have for you the weirdest battle of World War II. All right. Have you ever heard of Eider Castle? No. Okay. Um, now, this is a historical event that is probably only known because of dumb, fun fact type shit that you see on the internet, like a pictograph, as Correct.com calls them after they fired all the good people. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck's uh, a pictograph? They, they fired all the good people, saved money, and then sold it to some stupid hedge fund or whatever. So just like every media outlet in the country at this point. Yeah, yo. Know, though thankfully this time around we got good things like, um, uh, you know, behind the bastards, and even more news because that's where all those guys came from. Okay. Um. So you know the the best thing that came from them is that those guys end up being able to do what the fuck they want it. Um. And the reason why uh, most people have a surface layer and idea of this battle if they've ever heard of it all. Uh, because of websites like that, where you see like a sentence or maybe a paragraph of like fun fact, did you know? Yeah, um, I remember and I had, leaving a lot out. I remember I had like a book like that about like World War II, like or like maybe it was even just general war facts, and it was just like little like anywhere from like a you know a paragraph to like a couple sentences, like little fun facts and like stories and shit. I feel like I remember that being a thing for a while when I was growing up that I had a book like at- that. I think they just call it a uh, like a high school history textbook. I mean, um, also that. <laughs> uh, and so there's a reason why this is the weirdest battle of World War II. It stars American tankers fighting side by side with members of the German Wehrmacht held up in an Austrian castle defending French prisoners of war squaring off against the Waffen SS. <laughs> huh. All right. <laughs> All right. This is... You've piqued my inter- you you have also piqued my fancy. Uh and I have to say it is even weirder than that surface layer sentence right there. And that's normally that's all you get. You know, it's like, did you know that US soldiers fought side by side at the Wehrmacht against the SS in Austria? And that's it. That's all you get. And it is so much weirder. Um I mean admittedly, not- when you first said castle, like in you know, in World War Two, all I could think of was like uh like the Wolfenstein series. <laughs> so yeah, I was fair. I, I was kind of hoping for like you know. I was I'm admittedly a little disappointed because we're not talking about like you know cyborg like you know uh, death soldiers, but um you know I mean yours is good too. I mean, what are tankers other than cyborg death soldiers? <laughs> uh, not that like no, and I say that in the worst way possible as someone who used to be a tanker, in that all of our knees and hips end up being made out of metal, and we breathe it, <laughs> and we breathe in so many so much fucking jet fuel, we end up just dying. And you know you glow after a while from the depleted uranium, but other than that, it's great. Yeah, it's like Mister Burns running through the woods. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be you, like you know, when you get to like sixty five, like coming out of the VA. <laughs> now the reason I think in my opinion other than the fact this is not a major battle is that uh like there's not a lot of information about this. Uh that was until 2013 when a guy named Stephen Harding published The Last Battle. Um and that finally fleshed out the story because other than that and a few cursory very short articles there's really not shit out there uh that covers this. So yeah. uh 
Thanks to the Patreon for giving me the money necessary to buy Stephen Harding's book. It's pretty rad. You should buy it. It's great. Because <laughs> um, it's just so deeply weird. You're not going to hear about this shit anywhere else. Um, and another reason for that is that this battle occurs at quite literally the end of World War II in Europe. Um, the, like, the, the government in Berlin had surrendered. And this was what they called the Flensburg government. Um, and it, at that point, they were mostly worried about surrendering, uh, hopefully to the allies uh, on the West rather than the, the Soviets on the East. Um, and it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of command and control happening anymore. Who, who so was like, like, who was kind of in charge at that point? Cause I know, wasn't it uh, donuts who signed the, like ended up signing the surrender papers. Yes, it was it was a Reich Admiral Karl Donitz yeah. uh, who became um I don't believe they named him chancellor but uh he was the head of the Flensburg government. Okay. Uh, and you know you do not in fact have to hand it to the Nazis. Karl Donitz is a war criminal and he was sentenced as such, but he did a pretty rapid um attempt at surrendering as best as he could. Uh but he had a very very loose uh, control over various elements of the SS, which is why this episode ever happened. Um, now, before we get to all this weirdness, we have to start from the beginning. Uh, so, shocks, this might surprise you. It all started with this guy <laughs> named Hitler. Um, mm. You may have heard of him. History's worst wife guy. <laughs> He was only married like a day before he died. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. His entire marriage consisted mostly of uh, murder-suicide and then getting burned outside of a bunker. I mean, if there's any marital history of Hitler where that's how it ends, I'll take it. You know, bunker wife guy. Bunker wife guy. Um, all, much like uh, Joseph Fritzl. Um, <laughs> oh, also from Austria. Weird. Um <laughs> Oh, there's a good, uh, there's a good trash future crossover joke right there for the for you folks. <laughs> Not very often I can bring up Joseph fucking Fritz on this podcast. <laughs> also, if you've never heard of him, do not Google him. Do yourself a favor. Uh, and also, if you if you've never heard of him and you learned about him this way, you'll only think less of me. Um, <laughs> now, all of this falls under the idea of Greater Germany or the Greater German Reich, and Hitler did not invent that. Uh, this idea was bounced around from the time of German unification. Uh, the idea of Austria becoming part of Germany. Because, you know, they're German-speaking Germanic people. Uh, but during that time, the time of German unification, post-Franco-Prussian War, Austria is part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And that was still around, even though they were rapidly dying. Uh, but <laughs> So this, this idea was postponed until post-World War I, when the joint empire died, and Austria once again wanted to join Germany. Germany. And this was something that like was fielded almost immediately after World War I when it became obvious that the Austro-Hungarian Empire was going to die. Uh, but it was actually shit-canned by the Allies um, huh. in the Treaty of Versailles. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the idea of Germany having any kind of colony or yeah. expandable because they lost almost everything at the end of the war and the idea that they considered giving them Austria was almost effectively like letting them keep their like African um, colonies yeah. uh, and they shit canned it which fine whatever you do not in fact have to give Austria Germany <laughs> or Germany Austria <laughs> 
Sure. I mean, the 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 Treaty of Versailles was a lot of fucked up, but I do not think that was one of the bad parts. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, plus also that was during the time when, uh, you know, they were po- pushing like a very limited sense of like self-determinism only for like certain groups of white people, essentially. So yeah, mostly you know, just was, white people. We didn't just defeat in a war. Yeah. Like, you know, but like Wilson <laughs> was like making noises about, you know, some of the liberatory project that you know would eventually happen after world war ii of course he was also a terrible fucking racist which is why it didn't yeah happen yeah much of anything. you know it's funny that this is the second podcast i think in a row we've had to talk about him after eugene debs um <laughs> and that was like the thing is like uh, i was talking about this uh earlier with somebody else and it's um wilson you know if you cut off the racism like a malign tumor uh, he had a lot of like pie in the sky ideas when it came to you know liberalization and self-determination and then he assumed that all of his friends in Europe, you know, the the kings and so forth, um, and, you know, the French and whoever, all had the same ideas as him because, you know, hey, you're democracies too. And they're like, no, nah, man, we want to control these people like an empire. And he was like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> and then he just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they formed the League of Nations, which was just like even, somehow even more toothless than the UN is right now. Which the U.S. itself didn't even join. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I he, love that it was Wilson's idea. And Wilson's government's like, nah, man. <laughs> it's kind of incredible when you think about it. Um, I, yeah, that's uh, maybe everybody's like, why don't we have more PhDs become president? And maybe that's why. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about who was the last PhD who ran for president that ran for president. Yeah. I don't know. I, I couldn't even imagine. Like nowadays, you know, it's weird because you know. I almost don't think that they ever will again because uh, the the track towards federal office has changed so much that you kind of have to be just a career politician. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really and, have time to like get deep into academia. And then, yeah, only one United States president has earned a doctor of philosophy. It was, uh, it was Wilson. Yep, yep. Yeah, I know he was the only one to ever uh, uh, actually get elected. I wasn't sure if he was the only one to ever try. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, that just tells me we need to uh, have the guy from uh, uh, fuck. What is that band? Offspring. Offspring. Yes. <laughs> um, he's outcast? a PhD in molecular biology. That's fucking weird. Right. But I mean, at least I mean, good for him, at least on that versus, uh, you know, dude from Blink-182 who's just like gone off the deep end with UFO conspiracies. <laughs> hey, it got him on Joe Rogan. I guess you, you got to say that, I guess. <laughs> Not that that's a good thing anymore. Right. I mean, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh fast forward to the 1930s and this idea of greater germany uh, was being batted around again by even some austrians um now this idea of greater germany was pretty much boiled down to at least if you're hitler um we're just gonna swallow austria like austria will no longer exist and that was a bit much even for Austrian Nazis. Uh, like they wanted to become part of a greater German Reich or, you know, empire, but they still wanted to keep all the trappings of Austrian statehood. Yeah, they, could, they wanted to be like, you know, Austro-Germania. Right. Um, and Hitler wasn't about that action. Um, and there's a lot of backroom politics. I'm not going to get into it. Um, and it all boils down to... Hitler did some backroom politics to simply invade and force uh, force annexation, totally unopposed by the Austrian military, because the Austrian government was like, well, we're fucked. Um, We're not going to be able to stop them. 
and it's also weird because like Chiang Kai Shek's son was involved. Oh yeah, I think uh, I remember. Did you guys do an episode <laughs> on him like a long time ago? Yes, he was a tank commander who helped, and he got lost because a lot of Germans got lost when they invaded uh, Austria because the maps were all fucked up. Yeah. Now, in recent years, Austria has attempted to frame themselves as uh, the Nazis' first victims uh, of you know uh, Nazi imperialism, but. That is their own version of historical revisionism, a la the clean Wehrmacht. Yeah. Um, I don't buy it. And uh, now I'm not saying that Austrians, as a monolith, approved of what the Nazis did, because I can't say that for Germans as, uh, you know, either. Um, that would be unfair. Though the Austrian people in general were enthusiastic supporters of Nazi rule. I mean, like, uh, this thing- I, I remember seeing, you know, videos of, you know, I mean, and obviously they're Nazi propaganda films. So, like, right, you know, it's right. not like it's like an honest record, but by the same token, they sure found a lot of, you know, apparently pretty enthusiastic cheering crowds. They definitely uh, showed their Nazi spirit. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of this could be um, chalked up to well we kind of know what happens if you disagree with Nazis because we have Nazis in Austria as well uh, but they also support a horrific anti-Jewish pogroms pretty much as soon as the Nazis crossed the border um, nearly a million Austrians served in the Wehrmacht and while I understand that a lot of that is from constri- conscription a lot of them are also high ranking war criminals this included people that were involved in the quote unquote Jewish question and were eventually hung as war criminals like Ernst Kaltenbrunner and you know Adolf fucking Hitler himself did they was there like who was separate, Austrian like were there separate Austrian army units no so they were they were just in the Wehrmacht yes alright because I know they were like you know for some of the other you know, Hungary, Romania, like whatever, the you know, they had they still kind of had their own like nominal army. Now, uh it's important to think of like the what separated Austria from a lot of places being occupied by the Nazis as that in no way, shape, or form did Nazis consider Austrian occupation. That was an annexation, like the Sudetenland. Okay. They were not they were not like occupying Austria. Austria is now Germany. Like there was no pretense really of like a, you know, a, no. a separate national government. You know, there was no puppet leader. No. Like it was just, you know, you are, you know, you're, you're a German county now. Like congratulations. Yeah. Much. yeah. I mean, there was local Nazis in Austria, uh, but they were pretty much all just absorbed in the Nazi party. Now, um, while all this is happening, uh, as their shitty Nazi empire began to spread throughout the rest of Europe. Uh, now, when most... Most of the time, when Nazis took over a uh, a, a country, whatever, uh, they murdered most of its former leaders and elites. Yeah, and obviously, it's Jews as well. Eventually, uh, this uh, happened to like uh, this even happened in Austria. Like the first uh, Austrian Republic, almost all of its leaders died. Um, others were whisked away to like Dachau. Um, though this was not always the case. Okay. Sometimes it simply arrested them and chucked them into a prison so they couldn't whip up any resistance like, you know, Charles de Gaulle would do with the Free French Army. Right. Um, obviously, the Third Reich was not short of terrible prisons and death camps to throw people into, but they didn't want to give that treatment to everyone. They also had several other prisons for what they considered VIPs, um, and one of those was Castle Eider. 
Uh, Castle Eider was built sometime in the Middle Ages and eventually purchased by a guy named Franz Junger uh, or a Gunger. Probably the first one. I think I don't know. I'd imagine it's probably Junger. Yeah. Though, unfortunately for Franz, when your country is taken over by a bunch of, you know, fucking Nazis, they tend to steal your shit. And that's exactly what happened. His castle was seized by Oswald Pohl under the orders of Heinrich Himmler in 1940. This would be end up becoming a wing of a VIP prison. More specifically, a wing of a prison for French VIPs had fallen under their control under the administration of the Dachau concentration camp, which is just over the border in Germany. Hmm. Okay. Um, and a lot of the people who ended up in this prison were high-ranking military leaders who refused to join the Vichy government uh, and and France. Like uh, Maurice Gamelan, uh, he was a former pri- uh, he was a former military leader. But there's also prime ministers and presidents in there as well. Okay, <laughs> so it was <laughs> Which just is like weird. Everyone who like they kind of you know they they didn't necessarily want to make a martyr out of, but then also like who wasn't going to join. Uh, I think I, I think some of it, in my opinion, this is not in fact historical fact. I don't know. Was uh, they were hoping that they might flip? Yeah. Like after long um, enough to, you know. Yeah, like I think what I'm thinking is if if I'm keeping these guys prisoner and I'm propping up my own puppet regime in France, you know, if the tide of the war turns in my favor, you're going to realize that there's no choice but to work for me and, and you know, yeah. this new France. So you, you could be kind of like a good puppet leader. Together. And and plus, like I imagine that, you know, they, uh, they, you know, they did form like, French like Waffen SS units at one point during the war or whatever. So I'd imagine also too, uh, yes, like the SS Charlemagne. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine too, you might, you know, at, at some point need military leaders who are like of that nationality who aren't just, you know, like other German officers or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's a long game at play here and some of it is petty. Like for instance, Charles, Charles de Gaulle's sister was thrown in there because, you know, fuck Charles de Gaulle for fighting you effectively. Yeah. Uh, but she was also joined by a guy named Jean Botara. He was a nationalist tennis star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Man, one what of the- his jobs, he at one point he worked for the Vichy government uh, as like the head of the directorate of sport or whatever. Yeah, but like he planned on running away from the uh, the Vichy corner of France into Allied territory. He was arrested by the Gestapo uh, and got thrown in prison. <laughs> Like field marshal, uh, field marshal, prime minister, president, tennis guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, just imagine, like, just like bemoaning, like my fucking luck. <laughs> yeah, my backhand is never going to recover. Why can't I have been the number two tennis guy? And they just would have left me alone. Yeah, nobody remembers the number two tennis guy that didn't get fucking tortured by the Gestapo. <laughs> um, now the. For all of being in a Nazi prison probably sucks. Um, <laughs> being in Castle Eider was considered pretty fucking chill. I'm just imagining that um, as like a Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> Two stars. It's like when people review prisons or whatever on, on fucking, you know, like Google or what, you know. That's one of my favorite things. You can pull up any of your local jails near you and someone left a Yelp review and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plitch fucking sucks. <laughs> Camp counselors are assholes. Food is it, terrible. It's always like, look, I understand it's a jail, but the customer service is dog shit. Like, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, probably. It probably is terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. can't say I've had ever, ever had a different experience. So, you know, probably right. 
Yeah, I've never had an enjoyable moment uh, while being put in handcuffs and <laughs> forced into a jail. <laughs> um, now, like, obviously having a chill time while being arrested by the Nazis, you know, in, in your mind probably boils into, like, not having your fingernails ripped out by, like, Gestapo or being sent to, you know, the rest of Dachau, which, remember, this is part of... The, all During all this, remember, this is technically part of Dachau concentration camp system. Um... <laughs> So, like, this is as good as it gets. Um, but the, the Nazis also agreed with this. Like, this is considered a retirement spot for camp guards who thought it was, like, an easy place to ride out the war. Um, there's only about 20 guards in all of Castle Eider, and all of them are older dudes from other concentration camps. Um, and like, but they were also considered incapable of being sent to the front line or being sent to another camp. So this is like all the Nazis here were like broke dick concentration camp guards that couldn't do their job anywhere else. This whole everything about that is so deeply fucking cursed, which like, I guess is just what we consider the Bureau of Prisons right now. Just but. like, you know, just like, you know, punching my like punching my time card in like, you know, only two years away from my retirement is a fucking concentration camp guard, you know. I actually take great solace in the fact that when you look at the timeline that none of these guys are actually able to retire, right? Like they were all killed or made uh, unemployed before they ever could punch the retire, like drop the retirement packet. <laughs> no, they probably just, uh, you know, tried to get uh, credit for their years when they became uh, German police officers, like 10 years later. <laughs> what was your pay grade before your Polizei? Ah, I was uh, a tower guard. Auschwitz, second yeah. class. Yeah, like you know, I was a I was a grade fourteen, uh, you know, like death train conductor. Did <laughs> you know the GS scale like expands the covered concentration camps? Oh, I mean, oh wait, uh, no, they actually do because you know ice is GS scale, right? <laughs> Fuck this this got really close to home. Now, uh, <sighs> life at the prison at Camp uh, Castle Eider. It's called a mixture of brute force, politeness, and occasional attempts at friendship. Uh, <laughs> which is now just sounds like the worst weird fucking like cursed. summer, like you know, like John Cusack, like summer movie ever. Yeah, like uh, imagine wet, hot American summer, but this is the tagline. Yeah, like <laughs> it's kind of like Jojo Rabbit. Oh God, yeah. I mean, like it really seemed like. Uh, if if they broke the rules, they would get their asses kicked. Uh, but the rules were were more suggestions for these guys. Yeah. Um. Because the guards didn't want to do anything. Uh. the The daily life for the captives was better than probably anywhere else in any other German prison. Uh. Maybe outside of like an American POW camp, I guess. Um. Even some of those could get pretty grim. Yeah, they could. Uh, especially later on. Yeah. Um, the French inmates slept in converted guest rooms, had free access to the castle's substantial library, and took their daily exercise in a courtyard built around a 13th century fountain. Um, they also had a pirated radio that someone uh, had put together, and then everybody would get together and listen to as a group. And it also is kind of like on the download, noted that the guards knew about the radio and didn't do anything about it. Um, because I... I'm willing to bet that the guards realized that if we just let these guys do whatever, they're not going to try to escape because they're all a whole bunch of old generals and prime ministers and shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, like these you know, guys aren't going to tie a group of ropes together and try to climb the fucking wall. Yeah, Prime Minister Pierre is not going to be like chiseling through his floor to like drop down into the sewer system and escape. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about like Maurice Gumlon in his like late sixties like throwing a haymaker at you. Right. Uh, he might sharpen a baguette against the ground and give you a fucking shake though. <laughs> You know, just bludgeoning you with a piece of hard cheese. <laughs> but just because the castle is an easy place to do your time, did not mean that the prisoners liked one another. Uh, for instance, Gamlon was locked in with Maximi Wygand, a name I'm sure I mispronounced. Uh, Wygand had actually replaced Gamlon as commander of the French defenses and during the Nazi invasion of France only to surrender and then work for the Vichy French government before being thrown in prison with the guy that he had replaced. Just so many L's in one room. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and there's also like different groups of prisoners. Um, <laughs> like there was being the there Germans was left- just like cr- <laughs> carving a Magano line sign and just putting it above their room. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's the, it's the fucking uh, the sitcom, like, Maurice, Maximi, you can't cross this line. I understand the bathroom's on Maximi's side, but you're going to figure out some wacky hijinks to, to come together uh. and kill us with Liberator handguns or whatever. Um, like, there was left-wing organizers and right-wing organizers in this prison together, uh, and they all fucking hated one another yeah uh, the the only thing stopping things from like i don't know turning into some straight up prison shit was because they all had jobs like president prime minister and field marshal and probably thought shanking a guy with a razor that you secreted up your asshole was probably below their station <laughs> in life well and they also probably like <laughs> they keep getting in arguments with each other and then like calling for like their minions but their minions aren't there <laughs> <laughs> Like <laughs> I'm demanding my second. Yeah, like keep like they keep yelling seize him, but like forget that they don't have six guys around them at the time. <laughs> now, unfortunately, the chill lives of the prisoners prisoners would begin to change as yeah, the Germans began to lose the war. First rations stopped showing up, not just for the prisoners, but their guards too. This led to both sides bartering with each other over whatever they had laying around. Then fuel started drying up, so their generators stopped working. Which is like the most oh. uh, ar- aristocratic thing. I'm like, huh, the war must be going wrong. I have to light a candle. Well, and also like Jesus fucking Christ, you're in the Dachau prison system. And your biggest problem is like, oh man, I can't read at night anymore because the generator doesn't work. Yeah. Now let's glance two miles down the road. What's happening at the rest of the system? Yeah. Uh, Jesus fuck. This is like uh, all, all the like the white collar. Like if you fuck with stocks where you go to prison in comparison to like prison prison yeah yeah like whenever like someone gets like done for like a little bit of like insider trading and does six months or uh what is it here in uh boston it's been uh all the college admission prosecution so we had Lori laughlin just asked uh asked the judge if she could do the last half of her sentence from her mansion <laughs> it's a pablo escobar shit building like right uh was it uh whatever his private prison was called to have like lions and tigers and shit in it. Right. And like, no, a, you I'll, know, I'll totally do my time from here. It's fine. In an apartment with his mistresses and shit. Yeah. Now, prisoners were pretty happy. Obviously they could tell that some shit was going bad for the Germans when, you know, the fuel stopped showing up and their electricity stopped working because it told them the war was going bad. 
But it also meant that their lives would no longer become so important to the German government. Uh, this is when the prisoners started asking their commandant, who was pretty friendly with them, a guy named Sebastian Vimmer. Uh, like they cornered him and were like, look, when this war is over, what happened here will be what happens to you. So like, if you fucking kill us all, you're going to be hung as a war prisoner or as a war criminal, uh, which was, you know, they weren't so disconnected. They didn't know what was happening in other places in Germany. Like they kind of understood roughly what was happening at the rest of the prison camp that they were in, even though they were not close to the bulk of Dachau. Like, they understood how how Nazis work. Right. Um, I mean, also just, like, having, you know, dealt with them for however fucking long. I mean, you know, it couldn't have been a surprise. Yeah, they they knew that life was cheap in, in a place ran by Nazis. Right. But Vimmer was not SS. Vimmer was Wehrmacht. So, like, he saw himself... As just a prison commandant, um, like he he kind of framed it as he was running a POW camp uh, and executing POWs is wrong. And he told them that he promised that no POWs would be executed. One, it made no sense. And two, the only person that would be doing it is him. And he wasn't going to do it. Um, and that's how things went for a little bit. But remember... They're in Austria. They're not in Germany. So they actually ended up being part of kind of like the escape route for a lot of yeah. high-ranking people. Um, a lot lines. of people... Yeah, yeah exactly. There's a rat line. Um, a lot of high-ranking Nazis, mostly SS party members and Gestapo, would flee into Austria. But... Uh, one of the things they did was stop at Castle Eider as a secure place to sleep as their entire bullshit right came collapsing down around their ears. And as the prisoners saw more and more SS officers show up at the prison as like a way station, as a last leg to get to go towards allied lines to the west rather than get captured by the Soviets to the east, um, they were starting to get worried because a reason for that was one of the officers that came to the castle was Edward Viter. He was the last commandant of Dachau. Uh, and it was kind of known the dude is a psycho. Uh, <laughs> like other, other guards told the prisoners, like, stay the fuck away from him. Uh, and there's, there's some evidence to suggest that one, maybe it was Vimmer himself, told the prisoners that like Viter just liquidated all of Dachau. Uh, like, don't go near him. He might do the same thing here. Right. But instead, he shot himself in the fucking head. So that's cool. Well, I mean, you know, all's well that ends well there. <laughs> say, say what you will about Edward Viter, but he killed Edward Viter. Um, <laughs> now, this also had a problem, though. Vimmer just watched a very high-ranking member of the SS fucking kill himself, and it terrified him. Like, why are they killing themselves? Like, what's going to happen next? You know? Uh he immediately became scared for his own future and he didn't want to sit around and await what was coming to him. So he fled the castle with his family on May 4th, 1945. This was something of a domino effect. The guards saw their boss flee like, yo, we're getting the fuck out of here too. Right. Leaving the prisoners in complete control of the prison themselves. Hmm. So I take it like, they also probably weren't like locked in or anything anywhere either. So it's kind of different than you know, pretty much every other prison camp where, like, you know, they they might have, you know, I know sometimes, like, the, the guards generally, like, still lock the gates behind them as they fled. 
No, they were they were given free reign of the whole. Th- the only yeah. place that was locked was like the arms room, which right. they immediately broke into. Did they actually leave uh, arms behind? Yes. Uh, okay. Mostly pistols, rifles, submachine guns. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the, the uh, a lot of the prisoner, pr- prisoners in this prison were military men, and they started to get scared. Because before Vimmer ran off, he told them, keep yourselves in this prison, because there's SS everywhere. Um, and the, what the SS was doing at the time was... What, rounding up what they considered traitors. So by this point, like I said before, the Berlin government had surrendered, and now Karl Donuts was in charge of what was considered the Flensburg government. The Reich was fucking doomed, and pretty much everybody saw uh, uh, the writing on the wall here. Yeah. So you saw this during the Battle of Berlin, and you saw this in other places. What the SS was doing instead of fighting, though they were doing that in some places was rounding up military-aged males and some civilians that they saw fleeing towards American and British lines to surrender and shooting them or hanging them as traitors. Yeah. Uh, th- there was also stories of them killing POWs that the Wehrmacht had kept uh, because SS reasons. Uh, now, Because you're a murdering psychopath and like have no regard for any human life. Right. Um, now, I know... If anybody's listening to this that listening to our clean Wehrmacht episode, I am not excusing the Wehrmacht for anything. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> right. Now, yeah, I mean, the to, prisoners... To, to heap uh, abuse on one is not to praise the other by any means. No. And at this point, it's f- safe to consider a lot of this of a lot of people trying to save their own asses. Right. Um, so the prisoners within Castle Eider realize that, like, these SS guys might find the fucking castle, and they might come for us. We need to arm the fuck up. Uh, so despite all of their political and historical differences, like between Gamelon and Wygand, they broke into the arms room, armed themselves, and then began to span out to hold and defend the castle. But they also realized this was not enough. A lot of them were not military men. A lot of them were like prime ministers and shit. Like, we need fucking soldiers or even if they are military men i mean they're you know they're military men in the same way that uh like wesley clark is still a fucking military man (laughs) yeah the last time uh, maurice gumlon had probably pulled the triggers maybe world war one yeah um and even more likely even before that like yeah maybe the franco-prussian war if, if we squint real hard maybe not that's probably too old for him but yeah they're old. Uh, there is some partisans, um, some Czech partisans that were held there temporarily. They're younger, but also they would just want to escape. Um, right. Like they, but, just, they just want to go the fuck home, like, you know, and blend right. back into the background. They, they don't give a shit about, you know, protecting these old French geezers. Right. And like, honestly, I'd have a hard time if one of these guys like, no, we just stay put. I'm like, we need a fucking what now? Like... <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very much. You are not my supervisor. Like, fuck yeah. right off. Like, bitch, I just broke out of prison. I will fucking shoot you. And this is the one murder anybody can get away with because <laughs> we're in the middle of Nazi Austria. Because <laughs> I'm in fucking prison. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am in Dachau, you motherfucker. Uh, but they realize, like, we're the safest in the castle. Their numbers are very, very small. If they get caught on the open road, they'd very easily be outgunned. Uh, Castle Eider, while built in the Middle Ages, can stop machine gun rounds at least. We can hold up in here. But they also knew Americans are nearby. We need to go tell them 
what's going on over here. Maybe they'll send people to come come help us. Um, but they need to pick someone who could go find the Americans who was fast and in shape, which led to one Czech partisan named Andre, um, <laughs> which is his nom de guerre. I cannot pronounce his full name. I'm not even going to try. Uh, but he went by Andre. He was also the guy who put their fucking pirate radio together. Um, and he volunteered. He's like, I'll go find the fucking Americans. He's like the one, like, you know, kind of like American style, like action star. Like, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, a, you know, has operated undercover, put together the radio, like the most in shape guy, like, you know, speaks like five line. He's like the fucking Jason Bourne of, uh, you know, like Austria in 1945. He has his hair slicked back with like fucking t- track grease, a pack of cigarettes up on his sleeve and shit. Yeah. Like everyone else there is just like, you know, kind of like a, you know, fat like uh interwar style politician and then there's this one dude who looks like marlon brando <laughs> but like good marlon brando yeah, not like, like apocalypse now marlon brando yeah no like uh you know like uh you know uh wild one marlon brando not a not a last tango and perilous Mar- marlon brando no butter involved a uh, wild one marlon brando would get the business for sure <laughs> um now um so he decided he was going to go, but he couldn't run the whole way because the nearest town is like six miles away. Right. So he stole a bike that the uh, Wehrmacht had left behind, like a pedal bike, and pedaled six fucking miles to the nearest town. <laughs> Once again, just like those moments in war that you have to imagine, you just like feel both like really fucking scared and fucking ridiculous all at the same fucking time. Yeah, it's like when the fucking Japanese uh, invaded Singapore on bicycles. Like it's ridiculous but also kind of like terrifying. Yeah. Um so he got to the nearest town and he was relieved to see that it was not held by the SS but instead elements of the Wehrmacht commanded by a guy named Major Joseph Gangle. Um now Gangle was mulling over the idea of surrendering what remained of his unit which was maybe about a platoon to the allies when uh, when Andre popped up and told him about the castle. Now, we don't know uh, Gongle's reason. Gangle, Gongle, I don't fucking know. Gargle. It's, gar- it's an unwieldy last name, yeah. uh, even for Germany. Uh, and But nobody was really sure uh, why he talked to Andre. Andre isn't alive to tell the story. Either is Gangle. But... What we can be assume is that he heard of a castle full of presidents and prime ministers and shit and decided that, you know, it would look really good and help me escape any war crimes, trials or gallows at the end of this war. Yeah. Helping those guys. Yeah, it's a hell of a bargaining chip. And admittedly, the French government, uh, when reconstituted, uh, treated German POWs fucking terribly. So Gangle's got something here. Right. Uh, like they like uh, they made them uh, diffuse minefields by hand, which is a war crime, to be fair. <laughs> um, and a lot of them did not survive. So like Gangle's on to something here. Like the French might not be our friends when all this shit's over, right. <laughs> which no shit. Right. <laughs> it's like lepers. I can't believe leopards would eat my face. Um, Are you saying, you know, <laughs> just, you know, German Wehrmacht officers just immediately calling for unity. Can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. Look, guys, we should probably all get over this and whoa, come whoa, together. Whoa. The you know the invasion of France was like five years ago. You know, I think it's important that no one holds a grudge anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so he assumed 
that this honestly rightly this would probably help him when he uh wanted to surrender his what remained of his unit to the allies afterwards now gangle told and andre uh, to head to the town of Innsbruck, which had just been taken over by the U.S. 103rd Infantry Division, while his command team headed in a different direction uh, to, to try to cover as much ground as they could. Um, Andre found some first, running into Major John Kramers, who happened to be a guy who could speak fluent German. Andre told him what was happening, and Kramers and the French liaison Lieutenant Eric Luton slapped together a rescue force made up of four M10 tank de- destroyers, three Jeeps, and a truck full of uh, of infantry, amounting to be about a platoon, about 30-ish guys. All right. But uh, these guys would take forever to get there for other reasons. Gangle found a different American unit, the 23rd Tank Battalion, and while holding a white flag, he told them about uh, what was going on in the castle. And that's when Lieutenant Jack Lee volunteered to take a patrol up to the castle to see just what the fuck was going on. He chose eight volunteers, the man that patrols two Sherman tanks. Uh, his, named Besotten Jenny, which I included because I thought it was sounded fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, my girl's kind of a drunk, so fuck it. <laughs> And Lieutenant Wallace S. Holbrook's Bosch Buster. Uh, for people unaware, Bosch is an old-timey slur name for Germans. <laughs> uh, and uh, two other Shermans, along with a handful of infantry to ride with them. Interestingly enough, these infantry were all black men, uh, which is one of the few times that something like this occurred. Huh. Um, the army was not integrated yet. That would, would not occur until the Korean War. Um. Instead of leaving Gangle and his platoon of infantry behind, they asked if he would like to come with them, and they did. Putting the Nazi soldiers directly under the command of an American lieutenant, which had to be the weirdest fucking command briefing of all time. <laughs> like, this guy's only a lieutenant. Uh, actually, like, one of, like, uh, war history, it was, it was a World War II magazine did a spread on this, and they, like, they kept noting that, like, lieutenant... Lee should have been a captain by then, but he had done something which nobody ever talks about. Um, of why he had not been promoted yet. He gets promoted after this, so like, congrats. But like, he he's like, somebody off holding- or you know did something. He's a tanker. He probably got drunk and punched somebody. Yeah, uh, I'm going to assume. But like, he's like, I'm I'm going to take the truckload of Nazis with me too. Is that cool? Uh, all right, all right, bro, I'm gone. And then nobody really do- debates it. Everyone's <laughs> like, okay, fine. And Gangle and his men are not like, you guys are going to come with us, other than like, you need to show us where the castle is. And Gangle was going to go on his own. But he's like, no, we want to fight. Like, we want to help you secure this place. And he's like, all right. <laughs> I mean, I'd imagine like a lot of them are thinking the same thing. Like, if we like do the allies a solid, then maybe we all won't like, you know, end up in a prison camp immediately after this. I certainly think that some of it. And I think a lot of it is um, now, like when we talked about um, in our clean Wehrmacht episode, a lot of the Wehrmacht crimes, when they worked hand in hands with the Einsatzgruppen, uh, the SS and what have you, were out east. Most of those soldiers are dead. Um, most of the, the surviving soldiers in 1945 on the Western Front did not serve in the Eastern Front. Yeah. Most of the most of those veterans are fucking gone. Yeah. So most of these guys in the West are 
They might be veterans of the Western Front. They might be new conscripts. But either way, most likely the only relationship they have with the SS is watching them kill civilians and like hang people for being deserters and shit. Yeah. At this point, if these guys want to survive the war, they probably see themselves having a better chance fighting the SS than the Americans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So it's like, look, we don't like each other, but we both also hate the SS. It's like we have a a joke on the show called the greater unifying theory of fuck that guy. (laughs) And that's kind of what this is. Uh, A lot of people tag us and shit when it comes to stuff, the the theory of fuck that guy. But I mean, we've seen seen a great one this week. It's been pretty good. Um, Now, normally, in my opinion, it only works when you have to kill people or like it's like quite literally literally life and death. Um, But, you know, this worked. Uh, So like nobody asked a whole lot of questions. It's one of the most unifying theories of fuck that guy in all of World War II. (laughs) Because like uh, Lieutenant Lee was not some fresh cherry lieutenant off the uh, off the boat. This guy had fought through Germany against Wehrmacht soldiers to get to where he was in Austria. Like the, the book notes that he's like just exhausted and all of his men are so sick of fighting. So he had been fighting Wehrmacht for a long time. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they worked together and they deployed back towards the castle, passing through the town, the town of Vorgel. And that's when they discovered a whole bunch of SS people, or at least they assume it was SS people had wired the only bridge in the town to explode. So Lee kind of like, well, the Germans said they'd listen to me. He's like, Hey, go defuse the bomb. And a whole bunch of Wehrmacht soldiers were like, okay, and went and defused it. They didn't even argue. They're like, he's our officer. We have to listen to him. Jesus, that's like the the most and least surprising thing all at the same time together. It's the most enlisted thing on earth. Like, I know yeah. these guys are probably conscripts, but at the same time, like, well, the officer's telling us something to do. We have to go do it, right? <laughs> well, I mean, except it was an LT, though. So, I mean, you know, this is actually a lot more respect than one would typically, you know, give an LT. Yeah, I assume there's also a sergeant nearby. Like, you know, you're going to have to go fucking do it, man. All right, fine. Um, So they cleared the way. And admittedly, like, well, I'm sure Lieutenant Lee did this because, like, well, if it explodes, it'll only kill some Germans. Right. Like, 100%, I believe that. But also, like, they would know how to defuse their own shit, I would hope. Yeah, or at least have a better, you know, jumping off point. Yeah, they could at least read it. I don't know. Um <laughs> Because, like, it's noted that Lee doesn't speak German, but uh, Gangle spoke English. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, never discover over the course of the entire war that there's just a sign on every, like, German charge that says, cut this wire. But it just says it in German. <laughs> it's like a video game. You have to aim for the red barrels. Yeah, clearly. You, have to, you know, you have to pre- press the right combination of buttons in the right order, in the, you know, in the uh, right amount of time. Of course. Um... Now, after this, they moved forward with uh, clearing the way in front of them. As Lee and the rest of the unit moved forward, they ran directly into a group of SS soldiers who were setting up a roadblock. Now, this wasn't a very well-fortified roadblock, so it was probably out looking for deserters, or most likely, Gangle and his men, who had since gone missing. (laughs) Now, before the SS at the roadblock probably realized what was happening, the infantry seated on top of Lee's tank opened fire on the SS. And to the shock of everyone else, so did the Wehrmacht without orders. (laughs) 
Like they're like, yeah, fuck that guy. Uh, I hope like it's like, just amazing. It's incredible. Like I, something could be said for contagious, contagious firing, which I think I've told stories on the show before about how I've fallen for it. Yeah, but like it's one thing to guide these guys back to the castle, like. And they're just like start pumping rounds and some SS guys who are, let me be clear, running away. <laughs> <laughs> like just shooting into their backs. Like, fuck you, you lightning bolt wearing motherfuckers. Well, also, it's like, I mean, I guess if you can't, you know, like kill your own officers, at least you can like, you know, do the next best thing. Yeah. I mean, if you can't kill a member of the Wehrmacht, killing a member of the SS is just as good. <laughs> and I think this is a lot of the, that goes into... Um, like the first-hand accounts of a lot of these Wehrmacht guys were like, uh, obviously, rose-tinted glasses and all that because they're not going to be like, yeah, we're fucking bastards, but at least they're not the SS. Um, but like a lot of them noted how they were killing civilians who were just simply trying to run away from this a possible Soviet advance. Yeah. And like dudes in their, like with their family in their cars would be pulled out and shot on the street and their families would be sent home or like, Wehrmacht soldiers who were just just wanted to survive would be strung up with like uh, uh, poster boards around their neck saying like traitor or yeah. whatever or or deserter and things like that. I feel like so, that's become like a pretty common like you know covered now. I feel like uh, the last few movies I've seen that have dealt with kind of you know at least in part that era of World War II always include you know some scenes of exactly that sort of shit. You know the kind of like you know, volunteer death squads that popped up at the end of the war to like, you know, you know, eat, eat their own essentially. Yeah. And like the SS is doing this like the Hitler youth as well. Like they, they did not have any qualms about murdering children. They're the fucking SS. Right. So like even, uh, and I, and I know that like we talked about it in the, in the clean Wehrmacht episode more. However, a lot of these guys are just soldiers and they're like, yo, fuck those dudes. <laughs> Like I said, the greater unifying theory of fuck that guy. They're bastards, but they also want to survive the war. The Americans want to kill people in the SS, and the Wehrmacht's like, this is the way to survive the war. <laughs> now, uh, the SS soldiers abandoned their post because, you know, they got ambushed by several tanks um, and, opened, and this opened the road back up. The rescue mission uh, at this point then floored it towards the castle, realizing the SS are already getting close. And they got there just as the sun began to set. And the former inmates now defending the castle were actually very unimpressed by the rescue force that came for them. They assumed that Gangle and Andre telling the Americans like, hey, there's prime ministers and field marshals and shit in there. You know, they would get like George fucking Patton driving down the road to like rescue them. And instead they got Lieutenant Lee, a whole bunch of Nazis and a couple tanks. Well, they can you imagine like, you're this fucking like not promoted, like tired ass fucking lieutenant, and you have all these like you know Ponzi, uh, you know like French officials who are like really disappointed that you know Patton himself with like Eisenhower and toes and showing up to glad hand them. Yeah, and Lee did not give them any courtesy at all. Um, like, and so uh, s- uh, two of the tanks were actually left behind at this point. So when they crossed the bridge, they left two behind to secure it to make sure they didn't get surrounded or fucked up in any way to keep the route of escape open. Right. So when a besotten Jenny 
um, showed up to the castle. They had one Sherman, seven whole Americans, which to be clear, were black dudes and the French were not happy about that. And then about a platoon of Nazis, which is the weirdest fucking rescue force that has ever been put together in human history. Like, even the Wehrmacht's like, look, I'm fine with this, but can they at least be white? Like, that's like the one thing that the Wehrmacht and the French agreed upon. It was fucking gross. Oh. Like, it, it, there's a whole lot of implied racism here. Um, I mean, probably not implied. When, I mean, at that point in French history, pretty probably fucking explicit. Yeah, and it's not implied because they're Nazis. Like, right. <laughs> of yeah. course they're fucking racist, you know? Um, and like, uh, Gangle uh, introduced himself to the French, knew who they were um, because he was told, and treated them with the utmost courtesy as he could, while Lee acted like you imagine a lower ranking lieutenant who's also a tanker acts and um one of the prisoners called lee quote crude in both looks and manners and the <laughs> french were much nicer to gangle who's a nazi because uh. <laughs> he treated him better of course he treated him better this whole- he wants to survive <laughs> if he didn't know any better you'd think this whole fucking thing was a parody like this, like yeah, it's fucking uh, Hogan's Heroes or some shit. Yeah, like that's that's like what essentially this like or you know not even Hogan's Heroes. This is like Kelly's Heroes. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, probably what I meant. Uh, yeah, like it, you would expect that the French were smart enough to realize like this made. And it, I mean, Gangle's a major. He's not a dumb guy. He's fought a lot of this war and he's probably seen what's coming for him. Right. He's like, no, no, yes, Mr. Field Marshal, Prime Minister, I will get you a drink of water, anything you need. Well, like Lieutenant Lee's chain smoking in their face and probably smells terrible because he's a tanker. <laughs> right, just like dipping on the floor as like, you know, uh, the Wehrmacht Major just, you know, like literally is kissing the boots of everyone in front of him. Yeah, yeah, like he, he knows that the only thing that uh, that uh, a bad bootlicker can do is become a good bootlicker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, the prisoners were also pretty bummed to find out that Lee's intention was not to leave the castle. Remember, they only had one tank and about thirty-seven-ish infantry. Wait, what? In a truck. What happened to the? What happened to the fourth tank? They were they were all sitting at the bridge. Oh, so they left three tanks. Yes. Oh, okay. Because I because so they started out with four. They left three at the bridge, and they only brought one to the castle. Yeah, he was more worried about an escape route uh, and also to secure reinforcements. Well, also, like, you know, Um, what are you really going to do, you know, with a tank at a castle? uh, Fire. I mean, you know, it's a Sherman. So, like, like, they're not as bad as people give them credit for. But, like, you know, you could turn into a a functioning pillbox. Um, Yeah. I just meant, like, you know, if you have a bunch of tanks in a castle, like, there's only so many places where you can really put a tank I would imagine without it being like exposed and the whole point of it is to have a hard point yeah and that's actually pretty much what ends up happening um Lee is smart enough to realize like he needs to to block the escape route and he does like something that is pretty common like even today at American like outposts yeah is that they use an armored vehicle as a gate yeah which it works um now Lee's idea was like I can't bring in all of you guys out of here so we're gonna hunker down here if the SS want to fuck with us, we'll fight from the castle, but we're going to hold on until the rest of the American offensive comes this way because they're coming. Um, and, you know, if the SS really wants to fuck around, we'll help them find out from this castle. Right. Um, so there's a nearby town of Kufstein, 
I, 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 I'm probably pronouncing it. <laughs> Hoofstein. Um, uh, he, he, it was relatively close by, but he also realized, like, I could feasibly load everybody up. But if we get caught on the street, we are fucked. Um, because, I mean, the, 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 the truck that the Germans rode in on is unarmored. I can't put this fucking prime minister inside my tank and have the tank still work. Right. Yeah, you'd be riding on top of it or whatever. Um, but he, he figured if the SS wanted to dick around, they'd mostly just be looking at, you know, vulnerable targets. Yeah. Like- they wouldn't try to attack a fortified castle. Um, and even if they did, this castle, it's, it's, you know, elevated. It, they have machine guns there now. They have, I mean, a platoon plus of trained infantry. You can cause a lot of damage held up in a castle on an attacking force. And like this, everything in front of the castle is open. Like it's killing field. Yeah. It's surrounded by woods, but like they have to get over a clearing first to get to the castle. So Lee probably assumed that the SS wasn't stupid enough to attack it. And then 11 PM that night, the SS was stupid enough to attack it. (laughs) Now, nobody's entirely sure why the SS actually attacked the castle. They weren't sure if they knew the Americans were held up there and that's why they attacked it or because they came to kill prisoners or a combination of the two. But at the point when hundreds of SS threw themselves at the castle, that point wasn't important anymore. Um, the American soldiers, German soldiers, and French prisoners all ran out to pre-ranged fighting positions and fought side by side throughout the night, keeping the SS at bay. Like one American soldier noted that he was being fed ammunition into his 30 caliber machine gun by a German, <laughs> which had to be weird. Like we were both shooting at each other last week. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> well, you can also imagine too. I mean, just even like the inherent language barrier involved. Like, yeah, and I think that's like one of the things uh, it notes in the book is that uh, they had like one of their scouts at the highest part of the castle was screaming out shit in German. Now, Gangle did speak English, but also I think a lot of it is like the implied language of soldiering in that situation is like, you all kind of know what's going on. Kind of. More or less. Yeah, like shoot in that direction. Um, But the battle didn't end when the sun came up. Instead, the SS realized, like, oh, no, these guys intend on holding on. So they wheeled up an 88-millimeter anti-tank gun into position and began shelling the defenders. It did not take long for poor, poor, besotten Jenny to get hit and go up in flames. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Though there was, uh, Lee was not in the tank at the time, and one of his crew members were killed. Uh, The rest were able to escape. And this 88-tank shell attacking the tank was the sim- the signal for a general attack. And that's when hundreds of SS men swarmed out of the surrounding forest and attacked the castle at all sides. The soldiers defending outside uh, in like their hastily dug fighting positions were quickly withdrew back into the castle, uh, give- being given coven fire- cover fire by German soldiers with American machine guns <laughs> for being fed ammunition by a, ten- uh, by a French tennis star. <laughs> No, as one does. As is normal in in 1945. Um, Now, this curtain of cover fire was enough uh, to keep the SS at bay. And that is when Gangle, who was standing with Lee up at the top, commanding a joint defense, was shot and killed by a sniper, leaving the defense to Lee, who, remember, did not speak German. (laughs) 
Gangle spoke English. Lee was now fucked. Uh, <laughs> he began like wildly motioning with his hands. Uh, like, you, like, you know what like Americans do whenever they talk to someone that doesn't speak the same language? Yeah. Do you speak slowly and louder? Yeah, slowly louder and like making like, you know, trying to make weird gestures that are supposed to correspond with whatever verb you're saying. Yeah, and like thankfully you know, there wasn't like German civilians or something. Like the German soldiers at this point knew they needed to defend this fucking castle because if it fell, they're gonna die just like the Americans. Like the yeah. SS are not gonna have any sympathy for them, right? And it's not like you know, like yeah, uh, I don't know, shoot the guys outside. All right, yeah, yeah, boss. Like, yeah, at this point they all unified under the extent like if we don't defend this castle, every single one of us is going to die. And not only are we gonna die, we're gonna die real, real bad. Because the SS is going to do it. Right. It, it, it's like that. It's like the ending of um, Fury. It's like, they're going to kill you real bad. It's going to last a real long time. Yeah, like, you it's know? not... This is not even just going to be, like, a normal war crime. This is going to be, like, a special war crime. Yeah, especially if you're the fucking Wehrmacht and you're shooting at the SS. Jesus right. Christ, you're going to get the SS special. Like, even just random people that they're finding are getting hung at this point. So, like, it's going to definitely be worse than that. Yeah, your best bet is going down, fighting, and hoping a bullet catches you in the face. Right. And not that you catch one in the gut and they get to come and finish you off. Now, back at the bridge, a random gathering of American soldiers had met the rear guard. Now, this was not like an organized Ford element. Uh, They were kind of scouts, kind of just lingerers. Uh, of a different American unit, and they heard the gunfire and were talking to the people holding the bridge. And they were told, like, oh, no, 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 we have Americans in that castle fighting. Like, they need help. And they tried to raise Lee on the radio, but couldn't. That's when an Austrian partisan who also had trickled over there directed the officers to a nearby uh, hotel where you could just call the castle at a landline. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what he did. Lee picked up the phone. It was like, oh, yeah, we could really use some help. Also, we have no ammo left. Bring all the ammo you can. Because, uh, you know, it's 30 against 500 at this point. Right. And this is where another problem was. Now, it wasn't within eye shot of the castle. So, like, they did not know um, how exactly to get to the castle. And this is something that Lee was worried about. Like, they're going to get on their tanks and they're going to roll this way. And they're going to end up getting lost. Yeah. So that is when uh, Lee Botara, uh, or sorry, Jean Botara, not Lee Botara, offered Lieutenant Lee, like, I'll go find them and I'll bring them here. Wait, the fucking tennis guy? The tennis guy. Yeah. I mean, the nationalist former Nazi collaborator tennis guy. I love love a good Chekhov's tennis pro. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's good. And he's like, you know what? I can get there. I'll show these guys how to get to the castle. No problem. And Lee at this point is like, fuck, nothing else could go possibly more (laughs) wrong. Sure. I'll give the tennis guy a green light. I don't give a fuck at this point. So he snuck out in a lull of the fighting and apparently sprinted across 40 yards of open ground. And at one point got close enough to an SS uh, position where they were as confused as he was and didn't shoot at him as he jumped by. (laughs) Like... That looked like the tennis guy. I'm pretty sure that was the fucking tennis guy. God damn it. Just like imagining it like, uh, I don't know, playing fucking Call of Duty or something. And so you're just like, you know, just like jumping constantly to like make sure no one can fucking no scope <laughs> you. Just buddy hopping through. Yeah. World- 
And like, I know this isn't the case, but I also want him to be dressed as a tennis player during this time. Right. Yeah. Just with, like, with like sweatbands and like short shorts. Yeah. Not even like one of the period, but like one of like the 70s. Like, you know, like <laughs> like sweatbands, like both like on on his head as well as like both wrists, like some short shorts, like, you know, some Chuck Taylors. And if somebody tried to throw a grenade at him, he just hits him with a sick backhand and sends it flying back at them. <laughs> it's like fucking it- shuttlecock. <laughs> and he's at this point he sprinted down the road and found the American tanks who probably were also very confused as to why this guy was <laughs> waving them down they just keep having like different fucking people with different nationalities just waving them down and telling them how to get to a castle <laughs> like it's just the most surreal possible shit like oh yeah like, at this point the only part that isn't surprising is somehow the red army does not show up at some point right or like I don't know like some like a you know, two truckloads of Italians somehow like blunder in or something like, you know, the <laughs> immediately surrender and join the SS. <laughs> and then once the battle's over, they join the castle. Um, so at this point, uh, this is taking quite some time because remember, this is uh, the, the bridge is three to five miles away. And Jean is like just sprinting through the woods wildly trying to get in that direction. So it takes some time, and ammo goes very quickly in a battle. So Lee realizes we're fucked. We're out of ammo. So they fell back into the castle's keep, which at this point, the plan was to, to use their last remaining bullets as they came in through the keep doors and then spread out into the various stairwells and, and very, very, very narrow hallways and use bayonets and their own fists to force the SS to fight to the death over every inch of the castle. Uh, like imagine like the Germans like wait we have to do what now like I thought this is gonna be easy also just like even like even the Americans like you imagine like just like (laughs) any enlisted like junior enlisted at this point having to like listen to your NCOs and officers and just having it be something like I don't know man I read the fucking newspaper it said the war was over like you know a couple days ago like I I don't want to deal with any of this shit yeah and I'll imagine like cause like you know a day ago when they're all just sitting sitting pretty in Austria and they're like alright lads remember to stab in the fucking eyes and they come through the doors get around ammo <laughs> yeah just like some real like you know how it started how it's going sort of moment <laughs> so just as the SS were lining up a Panzer Shrek anti-tank rocket to blow down the keep doors they were hit by machine gun fire from a Sherman tank that appeared on their flank like something out of a fucking action movie <laughs> Eh, some fucking Lord of the Rings shit. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the white. It's a uh, Gandalf the White, but it's a Sherman tank full of people that smell like garbage. <laughs> and that's when, like, the American relief column spanned out, um, led by a French tennis uh, tennis star, to cut a swath of SS men who are now just like standing out in the open, thinking they they were just seconds away from victory. And they just started getting blasted by tanks and shit. <laughs> and the SS immediately broke off their attack and retreated back into the woods. Yeah, I fucking would too. The strange combined force of white Americans, black Americans, French aristocrats, and Nazis had beaten the other Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> The French VIPs were then whisked away, and American and German soldiers rode back to their base together, bringing their dead along with them side by side. Uh, Once there, the Germans, who had just been fighting alongside them, officially surrendered to Lee. 
Uh, Lee was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and pr- finally promoted to captain. <laughs> All it took um, was like an almost suicidal last stand, you know? I mean, nowadays like, you could just the- record a good runtime. <laughs> and like the, the, the nicest thing that the, uh, the Americans did for the Germans that fought with them was like uh, shuffle them into an American POW camper, then turning them over to the French, which also happened from time to time. They're like... Nah, you guys have earned our POW camp. Yeah, we you won't immediately be murdered. Congratulations. Yeah, you might die of cholera or some shit though. Um, what were the casualties like for this thing anyway? It was not that high. Uh, the Americans lost one or two. The Germans lost significantly more. Okay, um, because there was just more of them. Yeah, but I mean, like the deaths were like five. Five or six. Uh, nobody's really sure of the SS because they were pulling their own casualties back. Yeah. But it was a lot. It was a fucking lot. <laughs> Plus, probably no one really like thought to, you know, oh, well, he's kind of, look at him. He's just kind of uh, sitting there rotting in a ditch. I'm just going to leave him sitting there rotting in a ditch. Yeah, there's no need to count the dead Germans. At most, they just kick him over into a mass grave. Right. Um, now, later on, a few years later, uh, Captain Lee, who never made major because, of course, he didn't. Uh, was interviewed by a paper uh, about the battle. And he described the entire battle in probably the best way I had found yet. And he took a few seconds, thought about it. Because at this point, nobody had really asked him about it. It was it was a nothing battle, very small battle at the end of a war. Um, and he said, well, it was the damnedest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yep. Yeah, sure, sure fucking was, bud. <laughs> like... <laughs> Which is just like some World War Two vet era, like under it, like under describing shit that was just so crazy. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Shocks, thank you for joining me on this insane story, and we'll close it off with our question from the Legion. Right. Now, if you'd like to ask us a question from Legion, you can donate a dollar to the show and do that other thing that I say at the end of every other episode. Still add in my DMs and tell me something stupid. <laughs> now everybody knows that uh, if, if there's ever an intergalactic war it'll almost certainly include an AK-47 and a T-55 but what other military hardware will be fighting alongside these eternal weapons and I have to say the Toyota Hilux right off the top of my head mm, yeah I mean, and similarly I was going to say kind of regardless of uh, you know somewhat ahistorically you know when you look at uh, climate change thing, but I would go with the diesel engine uh, oh for, yeah, for very for sure. similar reasons. Because I, like, uh, on the the forty seven that I used to uh, work on, the the two uh, engines there are two Detroit e- diesel engines, which are uh, some of the same ones that were used in like deuce and a halfs and shit. Like they yeah. just like show up fucking everywhere, and they just like run and run and run until they don't. Yeah, I mean that's like a Toyota Hilux can be more bullet hole than truck, and it will still run. Yeah. And you don't have to give them any fucking maintenance at all. It's the reason why that they're like given to the Afghan army. <laughs> yeah. Like we know you're not going to do any oil chains. You'll be good for 20,000 miles regardless. Or like I don't know. I feel like maybe like a uh um I don't know, maybe like a Lee Enfield rifle or something. Like I'm just like thinking about all the shit that and like that is just like lasted in like either like the Middle East or Afghanistan or something. Like the shit that just like still seems to pop up every now and again. Well, there's been more than one Lee Enfield or even uh, like STG-44 that has yeah. surfaced during like the Syrian Civil War. Yeah, all the sh- stuff that shows up on, uh, was it uh, 
Calibra Obscura. Yes, I love that fucking page. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. But like even just like thinking about like types of things that reoccur because I feel like uh, um, like battle wagons of some sort have just like existed in some way, shape, or form for fucking forever. Uh, oh, like technicals. Yeah, I mean like technicals and just like uh, or even like Nestor Machno made the first fucking technical on horseback. Right, it's incredible. So I think it's called like a tachanka or something like that. It's amazing. Or like even um uh like looking at like uh like maritime shit. Like I feel like you know everyone is eventually at some point. Like I know I was talking to you recently about uh like the cod wars and like you know kind of like less uh like kind of you know lukewarm conflicts between different powers over fishing rights. And, yeah. it, and it's amazing that a lot of them you know still essentially just use a ship as a battering ram. And you have to <laughs> yeah, think I did about, not expect that, you know, and you have to think about like how far back that shit goes. And like, even in, uh, like, you know, and you see that in, uh, fucking star Wars, like I'm thinking of like rogue one where they essentially just like use one of their ships to like, you know, disable the, uh, like the forest field by just like ramming the fuck into it. <laughs> yeah. Like I could say something like that or like, you know, I, I actually got to visit the Icelandic Coast Guards Museum when I was in Reykjavik. And, like, uh, one of the weapons that they used against the Royal fucking Navy was, like, a, effectively a, like, a cannon. But, like, it was, I think it was powered by black powder. Yeah. And all it did was fire, like, a giant fucking knife with a hook at the end of it to try to cut fishing lines. <laughs> yeah. Like, ah, uh, we see your fucking ocean-going destroyer. We raise you this fish cannon. It's also funny when you think about it, when... Reading about that too, uh, just because it was also around the same time as like the you know the Falklands War and shit like that, and like the the Royal Navy was kind of like eating a pretty good shit sandwich there for a while for like a couple decades. Like every time they went out to try to go do something, yeah, and they should be because fuck them. Um, <laughs> Try to think of like anything else that I could think of that's just like absolutely indestructible. I don't know. Um, uh, Adidas track pants and flip flops for sure. Yeah, I mean, I got my tracksuit recently, so. Uh, I mean, I'm fully in favor of that. Be floating around on Mars, fighting the first intergalactic war, fucking spitting sunflower seeds in a sick Gopnik squat. It's be great. <laughs> uh, or just like, you uh, know, still fucking like, you know, still smoking cigarettes. Or like still, you know, <laughs> just like a, f- in a pure oxygen atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, vaping fucking huge clouds, kid. Oh, uh, God. Shocks, as always, thank you for joining us. Um, it's always great to have you on. One day we'll get it back on here. I'm not sure. I'll have to hand receipt him back from the army at some point. Um, <laughs> Just sign for him. Yeah, I thought I did. I guess my hand receipt has lapsed, and now I have to go talk to his commander and get custody of him again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor lost boy. Uh, and until next time, uh, redacted Nazis with a machine gun. Yep. I don't think I can say that whole thing. Nope, you're good. All right, it, it clears the lawyer, so do it, kids. Later. <laughs> <laughs>